Hello, welcome to the first episode of Impress. I'm Emma Cooper, psychology researcher by trade, fan of all things science related. The idea behind this podcast is to get new research out there while it's happening, in an accessible way and in the researcher's own words. We want to hear from early career researchers, not PIs and professors. So if you're working on something that people need to hear about or know someone whose work is blowing your mind, please get in touch. And now, without further ado, our first episode. In today's podcast, I talked to Dr. Hannah Christensen, a postdoctoral researcher at the University of Oxford. Her work focuses on something that's close to a lot of people's hearts, the weather. Specifically, she works on how to improve probabilistic weather forecasting. I met with her in the Department of Atmospheric Physics to find out more. This puzzled me because when I think of weather, I think of geography, but Hannah's actually using physics to predict the weather. I think most people think of weather prediction as being something that belongs in geography, where you talk about floods and human side of interacting with the weather. But really, I think that atmospheric science belongs in the physics department. Here we, we use the equations which describe the atmosphere to try to understand it better and also to try and predict it better. I mean, we have lots of uh, collaborations with geography, of course, but it's nice to be in a physics department. So first things first, how does weather prediction actually work? Yes, this is, a re- this is quite a fun question because I think most people don't actually know the answer at all. So yeah, I mean, it's quite a fun thing. Just ask a friend if you've, I mean, find out if they know how weather forecast is made. This is definitely something that I do. And most people think it's some kind of statistical thing. You look at what the weather was like yesterday and you think it's going to be something fairly similar or you look at what's coming in over the ocean and, you know, predict this front is going to pass. That's how they used to do it. Or it used to be involved in the, in the process more. So that, that technique's called analogs. So you look for an analog or a case in the past when conditions look similar to today and then you can see what happened then and then predict that for what's going to happen next week. But I mean, what we actually do is we use physics to make a weather forecast. So we know all of the equations which describe how the atmosphere moves and how the sun's radiation interacts with the atmosphere, warming it, and how uh, kind of chemical processes going on in the atmosphere affect it. And so we, we actually represent all of these physics equations in a computer model. And then we make a kind of computer simulator of the atmosphere. So you make all these measurements using satellites of what the weather is like today, put this into your forecasting model, and then you predict the future using the equations. My big question now is how close to perfect accuracy will it ever be possible to get with a computer model predicting the weather? So I think the key concept here is that the atmosphere is what's called a chaotic system. So chaos is quite a recent idea in maths and physics, so it was kind of discovered in the 1960s. So it's a very recent theory. And what it means is that you have a system which is very sensitive to its starting conditions. So you could imagine that you had a knife teetering on its point and precisely which way it's teetering at the beginning will say whether it falls right or left. That would be what a sensitivity to the, that condition is. And so what this means is that the atmosphere can sometimes do something vastly different to what you predict. Like a good example of this is the great storm of 1987. So uh, the forecast made the night before it happened was it's going to be a calm night, there's no big storm on the way. Uh, And then what actually happened was there was an enormous storm. And this big difference in the forecast actually comes down to the lack of information in the starting conditions. So if you repeat that forecast with a modern forecasting model 30 years later, it, it still makes this mistake in the forecast. But so because of this chaotic nature, 
I think it means that we'll never be able to perfectly predict the weather. I mean, interestingly, how predictable the weather is changes from day to day. So sometimes you have very predictable conditions and then you can really make a very accurate forecast. But other times it's actually very uncertain. And this is why uh, nowadays, instead of just making a single best guess prediction for the future, which is all Michael Fish had to play with for the, the great storm, uh, we now make a probabilistic prediction. So if you run the great storm forecast using a modern probabilistic weather forecasting system, you can see that, the, that it's a very uncertain case. There's you know, more than 50% chance of having this very severe windstorm. And it, it just so happened that uh, the most likely scenario was it would miss the UK. I was interested to know how hard it is to communicate this statistical information to the general public. As Hannah's explained, it's not always easy to get 100% accuracy and we like to have accuracy in our weather forecasts. It is definitely difficult. Um, And for this reason, the the Met Office and the BBC have been quite reluctant to try and communicate this extra information to the public. And I mean, I suppose in part it's because they're worried the public will think that they're hedging their bets in some way. So, I mean, if you're listening to a Met Office forecast and they say 70% chance of rain, then you might think, oh, that just means that if it's sunny, then they can say, oh, we said it might be sunny. And if it rains, then they say, oh, it might rain. So I think this is, this is really a key reason why they've been reluctant. Another reason is People don't understand what this 70% means. Does that mean over 70% of Oxfordshire? Does that mean it's 70% of the time between 1 and 2 p.m.? Or and, that, and that's not really what it means at all. And it comes down to how we make the forecasts. I mean, so to make a probabilistic forecast, we run our model a number of times, so say 50 times. And in each of these 50 individual forecasts, we try and represent different things that we know are, are sources of uncertainty in the forecast, which could then change the forecast. So this could be tiny little changes in the starting conditions. I mean, because the atmosphere is chaotic, uh, like we've talked about, that could then change how the, the weather evolves. But actually, we don't know precisely what the starting conditions are. We don't know the temperature in every square metre over the world and going up into the atmosphere. And the other thing is that we're trying to predict the future using a computer model. And so this is a very simplified version of the atmosphere. And so that itself will introduce errors. But what this means is that then this 70% chance of rain is actually saying that at a particular location, so say Oxford, and at a particular time, then we're saying that given our knowledge, we think there's a 70% chance of rain. We kind of summarise the the forecast for an area at a particular time. So part of the problem that you guys are trying to solve is how to communicate what this sort of statistical likelihood of the weather being a certain way. Yes, yeah. So, I mean, my own research is on improving these probabilistic forecasts. But, I mean, in order for them to be useful, you need to be able to communicate this information. I think one way that has proved to be popular is to pick particular high-impact events, so say there's um, a big windstorm coming, and to then create this into a story in its own right. And this is something that the Met Office has run with a few times on the BBC, on their kind of forecasts. And so they'll kind of prep the public for it, like build them up. So they'll say, oh, you know, on Thursday, we think there's going to be this storm coming. And they'll show a map which shows different tracks of where this storm might go. And then the idea is that then, you know, the following day you have another couple of minutes where you talk about it, but you can update then the probabilities. And in this way, you're really communicating quite accurately what this uncertainty is and where it's coming from. And the public can see that you update the information, but then there's a better understanding of the process somehow. It doesn't seem like you're hedging your bets in the same way. Very honest 
approach. You said that your work is looking at how to improve the accuracy of making these sort of mm-hmm. probabilistic weather forecasts. So how does that work? A good way of thinking about like improving the probabilistic forecast is to like first define what we mean there. A good measure of a probabilistic forecast is that if you say it's going to rain with a 70% chance, then if you collected together all of those days, you'd made that forecast. Does it rain on 70% of those days? So that's something you can, you can calculate. Um, and so you can evaluate how good your forecast is based on that metric. You can also look and see if your forecast actually changes depending on one, what the weather conditions are. Um, I mean, if I collected the climatological data for Oxford... I could make a very accurate probabilistic forecast by, by always predicting the climatology, even like predicting the climatology for the middle of July. But this is not actually very useful. So the other thing you want to do is that your forecast moves around depending on what is going to happen. So does it actually stick its neck out and say, you know what, tomorrow I think it's going to be 30 degrees. So, so this is how we can measure then how good a forecast is. But you asked then how do we actually improve the forecasts? Yeah. So we can, the technique that I work on is called uh, stochastic parameterization schemes. There's a number of different um, words here uh, to talk about. Um, so firstly, there's this idea of a parameterization scheme. So this comes down to how we actually build these computer simulators of the atmosphere. And the key problem is that we only have limited computer power. And so we can't model the movement of every little swirl of wind. And actually the scale below which we start making very coarse averages is, is about several kilometers in a weather forecasting model, so say 10 kilometers. And clearly there's a lot of stuff going on below that scale, which we can't explicitly represent. So what we do is we build a simplified version of things that go on smaller than that scale, so like clouds, uh, the interaction of the wind with mountains, things like that. And we call these simplified models parameterization schemes. So we build a cloud parameterization scheme. So the other word I mentioned was this word stochastic. So all that means is adding random numbers to a model. The process we go through is we've built a a representation of a cloud for a particular area in in our model. And we know that this is going to be wrong. But what we can do is we can characterize the ways it's likely to be wrong. What kind of errors do you expect to get from this scheme? And then we can build that into the model itself. So we can include these random numbers which are representing now potential clouds that could happen in that grid box uh, instead of just putting in the most likely cloud. And so you could think of the, the traditional way of building a model as being that we just represent the most likely cloud, say, at every point in our model. And if you do this, then you're going to end up with some estimate of the most likely weather for next week. But I suppose what we are trying to do is to represent the uncertainty in that forecast. So instead of representing just the most likely cloud, we represent one possible cloud. And we do this by including random numbers into the equations. But then what we can do is run our forecast 50 times. And now each of these grid boxes over our domain are seeing a different possible cloud, all of which are equally likely, but maybe not the most likely. And then we can see how this affects the large scale forecast. Another question I had is, how is climate change affecting our ability to predict the weather? Does it make it better? Does it make it worse? Is it affecting it at all? So I think that's a question we don't know the answer to. Um, So, I mean, you could rephrase it by saying, is the atmosphere getting more or less chaotic as a result of climate change? And I don't think we really know the answer to that. And finally, something we'll be asking every one of our guests, what do you think is the most exciting finding to come out of your field of research? Yeah, that's a very, that's quite a hard question. 
I mean, so this, this kind of area of weather forecasting or numerical weather prediction is really quite young. So it's only been going for about 40 years, um, really since the birth of the computer in the 70s. So it's, it's very hard to pinpoint what the kind of big exciting things are along the way. I mean, one way, okay, another way of looking at this is like these big exciting discoveries is what you get in the nature and the science papers. And you very rarely, you just don't get nature and science papers from weather forecasting, um, except that there was one last year. And what it was, it was, the title was um, The Quiet Revolution of Numerical Weather Prediction. And the, and the whole premise of the paper was how incrementally over this past 40 years, weather forecasts have gradually improved you get about an extra day's worth of skill per decade of work so now like so a weather forecast like a seven day weather forecast today is about as skillful as a, a five day weather forecast was 20 years ago and so it's i mean it's a very incremental process but it's so important these weather forecasts are used by the government to prep for extreme weather events so to see if there's the likelihood of a flood coming and things like um, Hurricane Sandy that happened a couple of years ago in the US that was predicted pretty accurately eight days in advance that it could happen and I mean this kind of this information is extremely useful for like saving lives and preparing people so yeah so I don't, it's quite hard to pinpoint then what what the most exciting finding is except that it's it's just kind of exciting to see so many people working towards this common goal and to see it being you know the, the frontiers are being pushed forward in a kind of slow but steady pace that was dr hannah christensen talking about her work on probabilistic weather forecasting hannah has written a blog for us that details more about what she does how she got to where she is and where she's headed in the future there's also some more in-depth information about her work and some references if you're interested. Please log on at inpress.moonfruit.com, link in the episode description, and have a read. If you want to showcase your work on Impress or know someone who should, please get in touch via our website. This episode was produced by Rihanna Guzzi and me. Our theme music is Blanks by Poddington Bear. Thank you very much for listening.